it's such a nutritious vehicle. Uh, and it's also super delicious and, and creates a joyous occasion every time. A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to the farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Beef Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Contact us for time and labor-saving solutions. Welcome to the Beef Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global beef industry. episode of the Beef Podcast Show. My name is Dr. Stephanie Hansen. I'm a feedlot nutritionist at Iowa State University, and I am excited to welcome our guest today, John Crowder. He is head of marketing at JBS USA Beef with expertise in educating consumers on beef's nutrition, variety, easy prep, and sustainability, all topics we're going to talk about today. He graduated from Southern Illinois University and has a marketing MBA from St. Louis University. Prior to joining JBS, John had a variety of key roles in leadership with companies such as Smithfield, Sarah Lee, and VDK Frozen Foods. He has an important marketing role in celebrating the joy of beef in every important meal occasion. And when not at work, he can be found spending time with his family or playing golf, drums, or racquetball. So welcome to the show, John. Well, thank you, Dr. Stephanie. It's great to be here with you. Thank you. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you today. Um, you're the first person kind of from the packing side that I've gotten to particularly interview. I know Brandy has talked to a few individuals, so this is going to be really fun for me as a feedlot nutritionist because obviously I help hopefully produce the great product. Then you can help take the final mile to the consumer, which I know is what we're going to talk a lot about today. But before we dive into that, tell us a little bit about your story. How did John end up um, as a part of the beef industry. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. So, you know, I've been in the consumer packaged goods industry and been various marketing, brand management, and uh, sales roles uh, throughout my career and uh, have worked in a number of categories across the grocery store, whether it's dry uh, grocery or frozen grocery, uh, and then fresh, and then um, really uh, the fresh perimeter, right? And so, um, you know, after uh, an early start to my career, I joined Sara Lee Corporation in 2002 and worked on the um, bread business. So we rolled out the Sara Lee brand to uh, breads, buns, rolls, bagels, you name it, and built the first, the industry's first billion dollar bakery brand. Um, and then uh, from there, I spent 10 years at Sara Lee. It was awesome. Uh, and then Sara Lee was acquired by Grupo Bimbo. And uh, about nine months later, uh, I left to join another perimeter opportunity with Smithfield Foods. And, um, you know, very similar to some of the things that um, I was able to do uh, with the team uh, at Sarah Lee, um, kind of changing the category from just a basic commodity white bread into all these value added products. Um, the same opportunity existed in pork. And, uh, so I worked a lot on the on the categories, packaged meat categories, bacon, hot dog, sausage, you name it, with brands like Smithfield, Farmland, Eckrich, um, uh, Nathan's, uh, hot dogs, uh, and um, 
a whole host of, of great iconic brands. Uh, from there, uh, I worked with a company called Ingredient, um, uh, Ingredient Corporation and uh, International Ingredient Corporation, sorry. And I was director of sustainability there. And that's a company that's really focused on eliminating food waste uh, and repurposing uh, wasted food out of the back of manufacturing facilities and repurposing that food for animal feed. Um, and then uh, after that, I uh, joined JBS and, you know, really, um, and, and spent a couple of years uh, courting JBS, um, you know, to be able to work in the world's most important category, which is fresh beef, uh, and uh, work with JBS, who has a desire to deliver great quality beef uh, in our great brands and great programs and, um, and really accelerate uh, consumers' love of beef um, was a tremendous opportunity. And uh, so I joined JBS in July of 2019, and I've been here ever since and uh, really having a blast. So what do you think, you know, starting right basically six to 12 months before the pandemic, what do you think is the biggest thing you saw change in, you know, beef demand kind of as you think about the pre-pandemic versus the post-pandemic? I can tell you how my shopping preferences have changed, but I'd be really curious to see what your opinion is on this. Yeah, well, it's great. So, um, you know, when I came in in 2019, the Beyond Meat and Impossible plant-based rhetoric was all the rage. And while they're less than a 1% share of sales in the overall meat category, they were probably a 75 share of voice and they were very loud and it was all anti-beef rhetoric. So we wanted to take back the narrative for the beef industry right away. Uh, and, um, you know, we kind of developed this concept of uh, having a beef renaissance, um, you know, where we turn things around and not only move quickly off the defensive, but into the, you know, offensive around all the wonderful joyous things that beef brings. And um, so we were shifting our communication strategy and gearing up for, you know, a lot of social media um, activation and then COVID hits, right? And um, in March of 2020, uh, and immediately it just changed everyone's lives. And all of, um, you know, the uh, occasions shifted in the home, right? And so, um, you know, historically, People would eat roughly 50, 55% of their meal occasions in the home uh, and the other 45 out of home. Uh, during COVID, that number uh, ballooned to 82% of all meals being eaten in the home. And, you know, with beef as popular as it was, we, we started off with some beef uh, food safety uh, communications um, as people were buying meat, freezing it. But then the, the tremendous opportunity to educate consumers on all the different varieties of beef, the different cuts of beef, how to prepare the beef. Uh, and, um, you know, what was interesting was um, over time, we were able to measure uh, our partners at uh, Circana uh, IRI, which is a, you know, a, a well-regarded consumer uh, insights platform that um, uh, Americans meet IQ grew by 69% in those first six months after COVID began. So people finally taught themselves how to prepare a steak in the home, uh, you know, and um, what was a tri-tip, you know, what's this flat iron filet? And um, as people, as time went on, and people were looking for more variety, right? Because they're cooking all their meals at home and they want new varieties, we really encourage the exploration across the carcass of all the wonderful cuts of beef 
and all of the, you know, easy prep and, and the recipes that went along with that. So, you know, now with inflation, we're still seeing 75, 76% of all meal occasions are in the home. And we think that's going to be a long lasting trend with people that are now much more comfortable and educated on how to reliably prepare beef. You know, many shoppers say, or consumers say, I can now prepare steaks as good as that five-star, you know, steak restaurant that, that I go to. And and it's more economical and affordable. <clears throat> and, and, and it's something that people could take pride in as well, cooking beef at home. So um, beef just continues to be a, a staple uh, uh, for consumers uh, in the home and in all these joyous occasions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, this leads right into one of the things that I definitely wanted to talk to you about. Um, so you talked about how one of the things that you've been involved with was helping um, individuals, the consumer, understand how to prepare this amazing thing that we call beef, right? Because it is, it's intimidating if you think about, do I have to have a fancy grill or fancy, you know, something on the stove or like you think you're like, man, mom or grandma or grandpa or whoever, like they all really knew what to do with that cut. But if I didn't necessarily grow up like that, maybe I don't know what to do with it. And I think this is one of the things that sometimes keeps people, it's a, it's a barrier, right? To the introduction of beef as being a, something to be on the plate every day. So tell us a little bit about some of your easy prep initiative that you've worked with. Yeah. Well, you know, um, beef is not cheap, right? It, it, it's expensive and it should be because it's such a nutritious vehicle. Uh, and it's also super delicious and, and creates a joyous occasion every time. But, you know, people don't want to spend a lot of money on something that they want to take a chance on, um, you know, not, you know, particularly, you know, cooking or preparing the meat well. Um, so, you know, right out of the gates, one example, we were in some focus groups with consumers and uh, we were in Chicago at the time. I'll never forget it. And um, uh, they were discussing that um, they, they, yeah, they love to grill steaks, but they don't grill steaks um, past, you know, September, October because it gets too cold out and they put their grills away. And then talking to the folks here at JBS, the most preferred way to prepare a steak is two minutes on each side in a cast iron skillet, you know, uh, on the, uh, in, you know, in the home uh, on the stove and then put the skillet in the oven and bake it off for another six to eight minutes and you get the best steak delivery of all time. And so it was that kind of simple nugget that was like, man, if we could just teach all these folks that stop, you know, buying steaks and grilling steaks when grilling season's over, teach them how to bring that in the home, we could really drive, you know, counter seasonal demand. Um, and that got a lot of traction. I mean, we had a lot of social posts that just absolutely took off. And that's when we kind of knew we were on to something uh, around instead of focusing on the recipe, focus on easy preparation instructions and being able with QR codes and with content on our website, et cetera, you know, we're able to show people how to prepare the exact cut, right? The exact size, the exact variety, um, and do it in a way that is going to be perfect every time. And, uh, and, and that's been a, a real success. And, 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 and we really feel like we've driven a lot of meat IQs up uh, just by showing that, that versatility in, in the preparation. Well, it's so funny that you say that. And I was sitting here smiling because my sister literally texted me a picture of her 
beautiful steak with an asparagus and like a little roll next to it or whatever. And I was like, that's gorgeous. And she goes, oh yeah, it's that cast iron skillet method that I told you about. Right. And like, she's cooked it for me before like that. And it is literally, she's like, it's like it melts in your mouth and it's yeah. So I can, I I'm hungry just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Always. Yeah. So one of the things that I think really, you know, came home to me because of the pandemic, obviously, um, I took advantage of being able to get groceries delivered outside to my car. And I will be honest, I still haven't been in a grocery store in like two years, right? Because why wouldn't I just every time order it off the app and get everything? I have a great fairway chain here. They have a great butcher counter. So you can order things from that. So I was so happy when they gave that option. But it still is this like convenience factor, right? So what is JBS or other folks doing to help offer more convenient, quick, cook quick kind of maybe pre-cooked reheat kind of options for beef? Yeah, great question. So um, we've invested tremendously in our case-ready capabilities. And so, you know, that's taking the big primal piece of beef and breaking it down and, and, and slicing, cutting, converting the product into more of a, you know, consumer ready or even a butcher ready application. So we have a tremendous part of our portfolio that we call converted. And those are larger primal pieces that are really ready for the butchers uh, in the restaurants to be able to easily slice up. You know, we've taken the fat off. We've, you know, really portioned the the, the sizes to be just right for that, that occasion. Uh, and then the case ready, uh, retail ready facilities that we've developed where, you know, we're now um, pre-portioning steaks uh, and um, packing them in, in single uh, multi-vac packages. Uh, and um, so now people can buy a 10-ounce strip or a 10-ounce ribeye uh, in some of the best meat out on the market. Uh, and, um, and so our case-ready operations do a lot of portioning for smaller households, right? So um, a lot of people can't uh, uh, eat for big ribeye steaks. You know, uh, when they go to the store, they need smaller portions um, for uh, smaller groups of people. So, so that really helps. And then um, in the preseason marinated um, uh, category, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, but beef really doesn't need any pre-seasoning or marination. Um, you know, a little salt and pepper and beef provides the wonderful natural flavor, right? But um, there are some applications we found though. Um, we launched a line of products called La Herencia Street Taco Meats. And it's really a brand that's celebrating the authentic Mexican cuisine. Uh, And we've got a line that includes um, a 14 ounce uh, marinated carne asada uh, or a 14 ounce chimichurri flavored beef. Uh, And then we've also gone beyond beef and we've included um, um, a couple of different chicken varieties and one pork variety as well. So, you know, we've got a multi-protein line under one brand really specifically geared towards making uh, street tacos in the home uh, is, is one example. We've also got other brands uh, in the house. Um, the Adaptable Meals brand is one where we do a lot of work to marinate a lot of different pork and chicken varieties. And we've also added some beef varieties to that line as well. So multi-protein uh, marinated uh, pre-season products um, are huge. Uh, and then, um, you know, the last thing would be some of these specialty items like um, tomahawks. Um, you know, we just picked up an order from Albertsons for a thousand cases of, of tomahawks that are going to be sold 
you know, they've got the bone and they got the, the ribeye on there um, that are going to be sold in California next month. And so we're doing things like that, you know, new cuts um, and uh, new varieties. Uh, we cut up a brisket and in, into a brisket flat piece only, which is much more um, sized for uh, all these different smokers and grillers um, that are out there in the marketplace. And so, you know, we just continue to look at all the different parts and pieces of, you know, the wonderful cattle and, uh, and the carcass and um, try to figure out ways we can add more value by pre-portioning to make it just right for the end user. Well, you mentioned food waste, right? And one of your prior roles that that's one of the biggest things that, you know, I sometimes I'll look at my fridge at the end of the week and be like, why did the person who bought those groceries not, be, I was clearly not the same person who bought the groceries who then was forced to cook the groceries during the week, right? Because it's like, oh, I didn't, or I didn't need as much. So I think anything we can do to like make it be, this is that single serving or two servings or whatever. And yes, it still has some plastic waste associated with it, right? To make it that kind of vacuum packaged or whatever, but it's probably a lot better than buying way more than we needed. And a bunch of it ends up in the trash. Yep. That's right. That's right. Although I would say that beef is probably the least wasted food on the planet, right? I mean, everybody eats all their beef. And if there's a little left over, you wrap it up, you put it in the fridge and, and you enjoy it the next day. Um, and, you know, plus the nature of beef, it's fresh. And so when you're buying it, you know, you're, you're going to use it because you've spent a pretty significant amount of money. Usually it's tied to a specific occasion, right? So, hey, on Thursday night, we're going to have people over, we're going to grill steaks. And, and so I, I would contend that, you know, on the sustainability front, beef has a positive uh, story when it comes to food waste because people aren't throwing away their beef, they're eating. <laughs> that is 100% true. I'm throwing away the vegetables that I did not cook that week. <laughs> Oh, no, that's 100% true. At the very least, the dog gets what's left over, right? <laughs> like if there's only little scraps for the beef. <laughs> yeah. And now with all these fresh pet options, the dog can uh, get get fresh beef. <laughs> he can get his own beef. <laughs> exactly. Right. Okay. Well, I think that's a good transition, right? There's a reason that people are considering beef for, you know, fresh pet food options, the same way that we like to have beef on the center of our plate or whatever. Um, and we were kind of talking in the pre-show that one of the things that is kind of one of our secret weapons of beef that we wish wasn't such a secret was the fact that it is really freaking nutritious, right? Like in terms of pound for pound or grams of for gram of protein, you know, way higher than other things that you might think about in terms of either plant-based or peanut butter or other things that sometimes people think about associated with protein, right? So tell us a little bit about how um, you guys at JBS are helping consumers understand that. And then we'll kind of maybe talk some more about the, the great nutrition that we can find in beef. Right. Excellent. Yeah. No, I, um, you, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out the most succinct way possible to say it. And, you know, if you look for the lowest caloric protein delivery foods on the planet, right? Chicken's number one just by a little bit and beef is number two, right? And when you look at that list, it's all fresh foods, right? So it's not the, the packaged, processed, it's fresh foods is where you get, um, get your protein from. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, we, we talked a little bit and, um, you know, that we're, as a beef industry, we are keeping these nutritional benefits a secret. Um, you know, we, we do a lot to communicate the great protein that exists in beef. Um, and people understand that, right? And they know they're getting um, a high amount of protein 
per calorie. You know, it, it's that's the key. But what we don't tell people, and if you think about it, you go to the grocery store, you buy a pack of three ribeye steaks, and guess what's missing from that package? The nutritional facts panel. Most of the beef sold in America goes out the door without the standard nutrition facts panel. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with um, the fact that these products are cut in the store and they're random weight. Um, so we don't have a UPC code on them. So we don't um, streamline the whole delivery of the nutrition facts panel. Um, but the magic for beef is really below the line. And it's really in the percentage of daily uh, value requirements of the vitamins and minerals that you get from beef. Uh, and that's just not even on the package. So, you know, we've been on a mission with all of our branded products to make sure that we're including full nutrition facts panels on every product that we make. And we got a long way to go before we help get the category there. But when people see um, all of the different B-complex vitamins, the selenium, the iron, um, you know, uh, all, all of these vitamins that are so critical to, um, you know, people's brain function and health and, and muscular and, and, and all that, um, that we just need to have that, that information available on every pack that people buy um, as a starter, right? I mean, that's, that's such a huge opportunity. Well, obviously I'm a mineral nerd. That's what I study, right? Is mineral nutrition and cattle. And I totally agree with this. And it's, it's even more than the fact that it's a rich amount of zinc or iron or things like that. It's very bioavailable iron, for example. So like heme iron that's in beef is much more available to our human intestines than say ferritin iron from like soy or something like that. So, you know, we can actually have a smaller amount of iron consumed and get more iron actually out of it because more of it's available for absorption. Yeah. And that's huge. I mean, and, and, and there's companies that are, that are out there in the market today talking about how absorption is, is such an opportunity, right? And, and so you're right. I mean, beef absorbs right into the, into the bloodstream and in the body. And, and so you get a full benefit uh, of all those uh, vitamins and, and critical nutrients. That's for sure. So I understand the, I guess the, the crunch point there, the pinch point there of a butcher, you know, says, oh, this steak was nine ounces and this one was 9.5 ounces or eight ounces or whatever. So it's not consistent. That is how most labels are for one serving. This is how many calories and grams of saturated fat and blah, blah, blah there is. But could there be something where there's like a standardized QR code available on those packaging? So somebody can just look at it and just be like, you know, for each ounce of beef or for a standard eight ounce cut or three ounce, whatever, this would be kind of some of the nutrients that you would expect to see to help them wrap that around. Cause you're so right. Like when you're looking at something in the supermarket and you're like, Oh, that's, that's like more calories or more fat or more sugar than I was looking for in that particular product. And you move on to the next one, as opposed to looking at it and saying, man, you know, like I got that much protein and oh, also B vitamins and zinc and iron and everything else in here. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you think about it, categories have been created, like all these nutrition bars, you know, the Cliff Bar and, and, and the RX Bar. And, you know, the, their whole existence is about the vitamins and minerals and, and protein that they deliver. I mean, it's, it's really what that whole category is about. And here we have all of those vitamins and, and minerals in beef um, that we're just not even calling out or making people aware of. And so, uh, you're right. A QR code has been, you know, a godsend for us. And we see tremendous traffic when we put QR codes on pack 
uh, people go into the website. We could steer them directly to the nutrition facts panel, you know, or if it's a specific promotion, you know, maybe it's a recipe combination kind of a thing. But QR codes uh, are, are really a, a great answer. Um, but there's other more simple things we can do, just like create stickers that, that uh, have the nutrition facts panel that the butcher can easily slap onto the back. And, you know, um, the standard uh, USDA uh, requirement is a four ounce serving. Uh, serving size. And so, um, yeah, I mean, a steak, um, you know, if, if you're eating four ounces, it's going to deliver 25, 26 grams of protein. But if you eat the whole steak, eat a 12 ounce ribeye, which is what most people do, you know, you're getting a couple of days worth of protein, 66 grams of protein. Now we've tested that with consumers and that kind of goes a little bit over the top. If we're claiming, you know, 66 grams of protein, um, that that people are like, ooh, I don't know if I need that much. But um, but to your point, sticking with that four ounce serving size and showing that even just in a four ounce serving size, you're clicking off six critical vitamin and minerals at a, at at a hundred percent of the daily value requirement in just a four ounce portion. Um, so it it yeah, it's something that we've got to continue to work on as an industry to make sure we're communicating. Now, the other thing I'll say, Stephanie, is um, e-commerce, right? And so for years and years and years, we hear this power of meat study that's done every year. And, um, it, and we always hear about the hue and cry from consumers who are looking for more information. They want more education and information about their beef, about the kind of beef it is, the kind of cattle, what country it came from, uh, and the nutrition facts as well. And so um, year after year. You know, it, it's just very difficult in the in-store environment to create impactful, you know, quick hit little communicators that would help deliver some of that educational material that consumers want. Well, you know, the other major thing with COVID is, as you mentioned, e-commerce and the ability to order products online and pick up in store. And so... I mean, the number I just came out of a, a, a great uh, digital grocery summit last week in Chicago was attended by the top 20 uh, consumer packaged goods companies uh, on the planet. And 62% um, of all grocery shopping trips now start online. Uh, 62%, right? So that doesn't mean that all 62% are, are buying online and then picking up in store. But people are using um, these dot, dot coms um, to shop for assortment. Let me see what's available. And, and for the first time ever, we now have the ability to deliver all of this great consumer education right there at the point of purchase. So it, it's called product detail pages, PDPs. And so working with our retail partners, you know, we're, we're loading in shots of uncooked product, shots of cooked finished product maybe a little instructional video, uh, the nutrition facts panel, and some verbiage about how to prepare and also where the, the beef's coming from. And you, we put all that information right there. And it's a lot easier for consumers to consume when they're scrolling through on their phone and they're clicking on that. And look. So finally, we're able to deliver key consumer education points at the point of purchase. And I just think that's a Tremendous opportunity and another great way we can really deliver the nutrition facts information 
um, you know, a, a, a across the board. <clears throat> That's a great idea. I was just picturing the last time I, you know, bought on my Fairway app or whatever. And there was definitely a couple of things. I had a friend coming over who has celiac. So I was making sure some things were gluten-free. So I was clicking on things and trying to like zoom in on the labels and other things. And, and it's, you know, that's a, that's an example of one where when you see the label gluten-free, you're instantly like, okay, I don't have to read all the ingredients. Right. So if I saw something and I was like, oh, I'm keto right now, or I'm just looking for high protein or whatever, as soon as I see, oh, this is a, you know, a high protein, you know, whatever food, then I can be like, okay, this is good. And then bonus points, if I can click on the YouTube video, right? For like the millennials and the Gen Zs who are like, okay, I'm just gonna go watch my YouTube too. Okay, five minutes, that perfect. I know how to cook this with confidence. Yep, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, and you mentioned another thing we haven't really talked about is the importance of Gen Z and um, uh, the importance of not only teaching them how to prepare and all the joys of beef, but you know, I do believe, and I've seen it personally in my life, um, you know, in some schools, you know, uh, they've been teaching kids uh, about if you want to be more sustainable for the planet, eat less beef. And so that's not true. And and it's false. But kids are growing up with that messaging uh, and and that information. And so we've got to work real hard to turn that right around and make sure that they understand, you know, not only the facts about the sustainability of our our, our beef cycle here in the United States, um, you know, but um, just to also make sure that they're aware of the nutritional benefits and the importance of beef in a, in a daily, uh, it, you know, in a, in a weekly um, menu. It's a big opportunity. How do you think we do that, though? What's the, what's the best way to, you know, is that an education that has to happen in the K-12 and it's something that maybe needs to, you know, be from like the food service vendor point down? Or is it something that needs to be, you know, beef producers and farmers need to be in the classrooms. I was especially thinking about that, right? I have some family who lives outside of New York City and I swear some of the conversations we have sometime, I'm like, okay, so no, that didn't grow in a grocery store. I, I raised that, right? Like, <laughs> um, so, but but this, this challenge is real, right? That not everybody understands where their food comes from and that those of us who are raising it care a hell of a lot about that animal that we raised, right? Absolutely, yeah. So it. I think it's going to take a ground swell. And I think what you're saying there is, is, is really great. Um, you know, get more involved with, with local schools, with curriculum, with, uh, you know, appearances and information. But, um, you know, for us, you, you know, in the marketing team, you know, we do have some investment dollars. And so we drive a tremendous amount of social media messaging, uh, targeting uh, these digitally native Gen Z folks, right? So uh, we just completed a... Um, um, a project uh, uh, with a company called Ad Amazing, and they're doing, um, they're helping us deliver fun beef ads in the middle of games, right? So all the mobile games that are out there, whether it's Candy Crush or, you know, Class of Plans, you know, you see all those little intermittent videos and, and things. So for us, it's about finding where the Gen Z um, uh, folks especially the ones that are now getting old enough, they're starting to buy groceries. And we're seeing, you know, meat sales growing significantly with this group. Uh, but it's really about finding them where they're at uh, on their social channels and, uh, and delivering um, useful information in a fun way. Um, you know, with, with these kids, you got to be authentic. Uh, you have to be transparent. Um, and, and it's got to be, you know, what they're used to every day. And so, we're doing a whole lot of that right now, um, but but I agree with you. It, it's an effort that I think 
from an education standpoint, we should take a look at, you know, across the country and make sure that we're teaching kids, um, you know, the, the real facts uh, of our industry for sure. Well, in Gen Z, like you said, they're digital natives, but sustainability is one of the things that they've really grown up in, right? Like whether or not they know the different definitions of it, but they've grown up in an era of knowing that things like that matter to them. And we've hinted, we've talked a little bit in our conversation about some of the things that JBS has done and you personally with your interest in sustainability, but let's talk about that more. What are some of the initiatives that you guys have going on right now around beef and its amazing ability to take my lawn so that I wouldn't have to mow it, but instead I could have a cow graze it, right? And turn that into this protein packed, you know, nutritious package for people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I, I'd say it, it really starts with our global initiative that we announced a couple of years ago, um, net zero by 2040, uh, on net zero carbon emissions, um, by 2040. And, um, our company is, um, designated over a billion dollars. Um, we're building up infrastructure. So we're building up a, a, a sustainability team. Our chief sustainability officer, Jason Weller came to us from Land Lakes, which is regarded as one of the the better uh, sustainability uh, companies in in the animal ag industry. Uh, Jason's fantastic. Uh, and we're building out that team in the United States and globally. Um, and so a lot of it gets into the science and the data and, um, you know, looking at regenerative agriculture and soil sequestration and lots of scientific-based uh, methods. But um, so we're, we're going through life cycle assessments. We're documenting where we're at today. And we're continually measuring, monitoring, goaling ourselves to make real improvements, you know, whether it's water usage, um, you know, electricity, uh, you know, all these different things. But um, so corporate commitment at the highest level and throughout our, our, our global operations, a focus on net zero by 2040. Um, we also have a couple of programs that we're real proud of um, called the Hometown Strong, where we're investing back in our communities. So in all of the locations where we have our processing plants, um, we're investing back in the community to help families and, and to build um, wonderful neighborhoods that people will want to stay in and live in for a long time and, and, and come to work every day in our facilities. So Hometown Strong is, I think some people have said, it's the largest investment in rural America um, that any company has ever made. So we're very proud of that. Uh, and then Internally, we've got a program called Building Better Futures, which is all about um, offering free college for our team members and their team members' children, right? So we are focused on building education, um, you know, from within and, um, and, and really supporting our team members uh, in, in that regard. Um, but there's other things and some things I really can't talk about right now of, of maybe outside of our industry um, that we're talking to people about. Um, building a sustainability story um, that really hits back and, and focuses on telling the true sustainability, the true narrative around, you know, um, what's happening here in the United States and all of our wonderful ranchers and the focus that everyone in the industry has uh, are, are, you know, around things around, you know, animal um, welfare uh, and uh, doing things the right way for the land. Um, you know, I mean, these a lot of these ranchers have been doing this for five or six or seven generations, you know, on the same plot of land. So I think they know something about how to care for not only the animals, but the, but the ground that they, um, that they work on. And so, um, a lot of it is just 
you know, building up, uh, you know, the, the, the opportunities for people to tell their story and, and share the realities of um, all of the great things we're doing in the United States to drive sustainability in the beef industry. And um, I'll, I'll quote Randy Block here. Um, he, he's got a chart that shows that over the last 30 years, um, the, 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 num- the herd size has come down 50%, right? So there's 50% less cattle grown in the United States. And the amount of beef we're producing has grown by 50%, right? So that's about as great of a sustainability story as I could ever think about, right? And, and that, that just goes to show the American ingenuity, whether it's genetics or efficient operations or, you know, um, what we're doing in the processing plants to make sure we get every ounce uh, of value out of, out of those carcasses. So, so many wonderful things that's happening uh, with pro sustainability across our industry. And we just need to continue to all individually and collectively uh, tell our story. Yeah. And I hope, you know, a piece of that sustainability story is the importance of things like the growth promoting technologies that we have access to, right? So things like anabolic implants and beta agonists, which the science says are incredibly safe um, for our cattle and for the consumers to then consume that meat from animals that receive those technologies. Those are massive contributors to that sustainability story, right? That seven and a half pounds increase each year in hot carcass weight or whatever our annual average has been over the last 15 or 20 years. You know, those are in part, as you said, genetics, improvements in husbandry, um, better efficiencies and things. But they're also because of some of the technologies we're able to capitalize on. And, you know, with some of the newer products that have some sustainability claims as well. So um, just I think lots of really cool things. And but and I recognize those lead to challenges right on the meat side. So it's like, okay, we've got a bigger ribeye than ever. We can't be giving the consumer something that's a quarter inch thick and it's going to you know burn on the grill. So you have to get the meat scientists involved and think, how do we fabricate something differently? And, and I think, you know, that's been such a creative opportunity to be able to, you know, capture and maintain that um, momentum that we have for beef sustainability. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and our, our higher education system, I mean, Iowa state, you know, and, and a lot of these schools, you know, we, we partner here, we're, we're in Greeley, Colorado. And so um, we partner very closely with Colorado state university and Dr. Jennifer Martin there and, you know, Temple Grandin has an office there at CSU, but, you know, we're always on the phone, you know, with, with, with you guys, um, you know, with Kansas State, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, you know, just a great network of, um, you know, uh, uh, the focus on, on the science uh, in, in the optimization in the industry. And, and y'all are great partners for us, um, you know, as we work together going forward. I feel like the one piece we haven't really talked a whole lot about yet, John, has kind of been what beef demand looks like globally. Can you enlighten us a little bit on some of those statistics? I imagine you might know a few of them. <laughs> you know, uh, the global demand for beef raised in the United States is at an all-time high. Um, it, it's um, it's really unbelievable, and 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 global demand is incredibly strong. We've seen here in the U.S. that beef consumption um, has been climbing. Um, you know, since 2014 and um, continues to grow. So we're seeing record levels of beef consumption here in the United States, uh, as well as abroad. Uh, And, um, you know, whether that's all the beef that we're selling in the retail channel and that's going, you know, for in-home usage, um, it's all of the uh, food service operators, whether it is that steakhouse, um, you know, group, you know, frankly, that that group was the first to come back when when COVID started to shut off in in 2021. 
Um, and so people still love to go to the steakhouse. Um, and then the fast casuals, the Chipotle's of the world that are, you know, uh, beef and uh, on the menu, Qdoba, beef all the time. And then all the burgers, right? All the burgers and tacos people are eating uh, at Taco Bell or McDonald's or Wendy's or Hardee's or, you know, Carl's Jr. Uh, and then some of the specialty chains as well. I mean, that's um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Catlett King from uh, LSU gave a great speech to us a couple of years ago about how we're living in Maslow's hierarchy, right? I mean, we're, you know, today people want what they want, when they want it, where they want it, uh, et cetera. And um, it's about making beef available, all of its wonderful forms and formats everywhere you go. And, um, you know, we like to tell uh, restaurateurs and, and, and retailers alike that, you know, because beef is the number one food and beverage category, if you're not right in beef, you're not right. So, um, you know, so, so we're excited to get, continue to make uh, beef available uh, in all these different locations. And that, that drives demand. Um, a lot of the fun that you see on videos, on Instagram reels or on Facebook or on TikTok now, TikTok's taken over and all the TikTok videos of folks having fun preparing beef, you know, it, it's that groundswell is also driving a lot of great demand. Um, the average U.S. person eats 59 and a half pounds of beef a year, uh, and, and that's a record. Uh, that's as high as we've ever seen, uh, and, and that's tracked by the beef checkoff and, um, uh, and, and some, other, uh, some other groups that, um, that measure that every year. Uh, and then the global uh, aspect, right? So um, uh, almost a, to a quarter of our business is, um, is exported uh, to 150 countries around the world. Uh, we just hosted a beef uh, university uh, for inter our international uh, top customers. And we have people here from uh, 12 different countries uh, around the world. And so we all know about how the demand for USA beef in China has taken off. And when you think about China, four times the amount of people, uh, and um, they're just now getting their first taste of USA beef. Uh, there's nothing like it on the planet, right? And so um, I'll give you the other interesting fact is the average consumption of beef, uh, of USA beef in China is at three pounds. So in the U.S., we're, we're eating 59 and a half. In China, it's currently at three. And that's up from one and a half just a couple of years ago. So there's tremendous growth opportunities uh, in China, uh, in Japan, you know, in uh, some of the folks we had in were folks from Kuwait, um, from Indonesia. Uh, from Vietnam, um, you know, and uh, more and more, whether it's beef offal um, or it's special cuts of beef, hind shanks and things that maybe don't sell so well here in the U.S., but we have a tremendous market globally for, you know, that's another secret sauce is we're able to utilize the full carcass and find a home for all of the, the beef cuts um, uh, around the globe. And so, you know, that's the last part is the flavor the tenderness, the, the delivery, uh, and the nutrition um, makes this the number one food on the planet. And nobody raises it more reliably and more um, edibly uh, than, than how we do it here in the U.S. And uh, so as people get a taste of USA beef, uh, they want more. <laughs> so, Yeah, I was going to actually ask that if most of the or if a good proportion of that increasing demand is related to our high quality beef, right? Especially, so I'm here in the upper, you know, Midwest, Northern Plains, 
and we're known for our high quality um you know, type of cattle that we're growing. I was curious if that's what a big part of that demand is. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And, you know, we have some dedicated programs in our business where we're able to, you know, kind of call out that part of the country, you know, the, the rich, uh, you know, plains and, and the, you know, the, um, it's some of the, 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 I guess the most efficient, effective places to grow cattle on the planet. And, um, so we're able to carve out programs that come from that region, um, that deliver on this upper, you know, we call it upper two thirds, but it's really like the top 15%. Um, you know, upper two thirds, you know, it's another industry term, right? Upper two thirds. Um, but it, we're really talking about the top 15% of beef. Uh, and so, um, you know, we're, we're able to deliver, you know, these specific, you know, regional, um, you know, uh, highly effective, highly marbled um, cattle and, and different programs. And so, um, you know, we've got a great uh, raised in the USA uh, grass fed beef program uh, under our grass run farms brand, uh, our 1855 brand of um, black Angus beef, which hails from, you know, the, uh, the upper Midwest, um, you know, and, and, and a, a whole lot of other programs, but specifically calling out the tremendous marbling uh, tenderness and, and flavor delivery. Uh, and, and we get that, you know, from Holstein programs as well. Uh, and um, a lot of the beef, beef on dairy cattle that's emerging, um, the tenderness scores just continue to get better and better and better. Uh, and so you're right. It's really about not only the technology that goes into this, but, uh, but the, the, the um, ecosystem around us, right? The climate that we're in, uh, you know, really affords us this opportunity to raise the most delicious beef on the planet. Well, John, if I didn't already have a positive lookout or outlook for where beef was going, I would have that now after having a chat with you. So this has been really awesome. It's time for our famous three. We are time are ready for our final three famous questions. So are you ready for these? Yeah, sure. Okay, so question number one, what is your favorite beef resource? Um, you know, we really partner with the Beef Checkoff, and they provide us tremendous amounts of uh, information. Um, they uh, work with retailers, uh, and, um, and, and most importantly, they're doing a consumer survey, a tracker that's been in place every quarter for years and years and years. So we're able to get a pulse and a read on exactly um, what consumers uh, in the United States are thinking about beef and our categories. And we can calibrate a lot of times the messaging and the things that we're putting out from a marketing standpoint based on where we see some of those needs that are identified from the beef checkoff group. Yeah, I love that. I think the beef checkoff is a great resource. Okay, question number two, what is a book not related to beef that you're reading right now? Well, I just finished it. And, um, you know, I, I really love this guy. His name is Eddie Yoon. Uh, Y-O-O-N. And uh, his book is, uh, uh, well, one of his books is about super consumers. And the whole notion of the book is really around if you market to your the super consumers in a category, the people that really love your category, right? So if you think about grillers and smokers and barbecue and chefs, and, and if we can win with those people, we can win with everybody. Um, and uh, so um, the book Super Consumers by Eddie Yoon is is a, is a, is a really good one. He also is part of a group now online called Category Pirates. And so that would be the other thing I'd say is I'm reading less and less books and I'm reading more and more online. 
um, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, you know, linking to different studies and different articles um, or, um, you know, on Twitter, you know, uh, it, there's just so much really great information. You can go as far as you want to go out there on them internet, as uh, George Bush like to say. Um, but uh, so, bo- so books are key, but, but, but really just surfing the net is, uh, is a pretty good way to go. Well, even once, and then once you're chat GPT assisted, right. And you can get AI driven assistance, get there even faster. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. Final question. What's a trait of someone, you know, that has allowed them to be successful? Um, you know, I think humble and, and focused, right. So whether it's, you know, that's two right now, one. So, you know, I think humility is really important, but then also the commitment, being committed uh, and focused to, to, to deliver uh, in a humble way. I think that's our industry. Um, I, I think there's some really great leaders that, that I work with today um, that, that demonstrate those values every day. And um, I think those are the most important to, to be able to continue to win. Well, great. This has been really excellent talking with you today, John, and we really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Really appreciate you. Thank you.